What's up, Schmilville? Welcome to the second episode of the Meaning of Podcast. I am Ace, this is RB3, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite filmmakers right now, and probably the hottest filmmaker, at least for quality movies go, uh, currently in Hollywood, and that is the French-Canadian man himself, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Now, this guy is a guy who, like I said in the beginning, has made some pretty spectacular movies. And we are very much excited to jump into pretty much all of his filmography. We're going to go from um, his release date. So we'll start with the one that he kind of did first. And then we'll go to the most current one, which is going to be a rival for us. Uh, I'm still super excited for Blade Runner 2049. But uh, we're going to finish with a rival and we're going to start with uh, actually a short film of his. But before we do that, um, we wanted to take some of your comments, which my bad last week because I completely forgot to do um, comments of Aronofsky. So what I want to do is, like I said before, Schmilville, I want to incorporate you guys as much as possible. So I want to make sure and do comments that you guys have on these filmmakers that I'm assuming you guys love as much as we do because we're all film fans here. Um, So let's read a few comments from uh, Schmilville. Let's start with uh, Rasika because... It's Rasika. <laughs> guy's a G. <laughs> he says, what I appreciate about Evernoski is that he's bold in his choices and isn't afraid to take risk. My favorite film of his is The Fountain, something that was met with mixed responses from critics, but I love the story he told and how he chose to tell that story. Drawing elements from different ideologies to tell his narrative was a risky move, but one that I love. You can see it with all his films. Whatever you think of him, formulaic isn't something you can use to describe him. Yeah, absolutely. He's... He's always trying different things. He's very bold. I mean, like we spoke about it in the initial episode, the first one we did. Aronofsky is one of my favorite filmmakers, and I know he's one of RB3s as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I definitely, in my work, um, I take a lot from what I learn uh, through his movies and 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 able to incorporate a lot of stuff in in the films that I make and and the things that that I do. Um, In my pursuits in filmmaking, in terms of the fountain, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit. How about how week. much I love that movie? You love, you love oh, the yeah. fountain, yeah. I and, love that movie. And, um, I still think it's his most. I, I told you before, but I, I think it's his most ambitious movie. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, I think it's more ambitious than Mother, but that's that's me again. Yeah, because everyone's talking about how crazy Mother is. I think the fountain's way crazier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard movie to grasp on. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like it's not one of my favorites. You know, um, I definitely have like some issues with it. Like you know, it it it, it has this you know. It's, it's definitely like a very Aronofsky, like, oh, we're not going to give you any information. <laughs> Just jump right into De- it. You know? Then again, then again, we're probably going to talk about one of those for Denny as well. Oh, yeah. There, oh, is, yeah, a, there is a movie from Denny that he does, and I'm assuming a lot of you guys know, that for me, I'm like, The Fountain is, this is this is one plus one equals two compared to this movie from Denny Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, let's read another comment from Nick Bosworth. Um, he says, about Aronofsky. He says he's a very ambitious director. I can't say I enjoy watching all of his films, but I'm glad I've seen them. They are very impactful and full of risk. Most of his films, however, are one and done for me. I appreciate the art, but it's too rough for a second watch, in my opinion, aka Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, you know, not everyone loves Aronofsky, obviously, and there, a lot of people have like a love-hate relationship with him because he makes movies that are I don't want to say offensive, but they're very much like divisive is a yeah. better word for it. Like Mother, like Requiem. Um, those kind of movies that kind of hit you in a certain way that you're like, I don't appreciate being hit that way, Mr. Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, I don't, I don't like you slapping me around like that. So it, it, he makes very divisive films. Yeah, it's a phenomenon of his that you could get 
directed as so polarizing, but yet so acclaimed and, and praised. I think it just speaks like uh, great about like the way he uses uh, his camera, his editing. And you know, it's, it's funny we kind of you, you say you know you can't really watch *Wrecking for a Dream* over and you know, and we got a lot of those comments. Uh, but we also got people who are like, "Oh yeah, I could watch that movie." Uh, yeah, there was one guy who was like, "Oh, that movie's easy." I'm like, "Bro, stop." Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because even... even with, It hurts like, my soul, man. It's, it's so... Uh, such destructive, like, behavior and yeah. stuff in there, but they're so entertaining to watch, man. Like, I could, like the first hour and a half of Wrecking for a Dream, I could watch any day, all day. It's just... It's great. And then, like, once that, like, last sequence starts to hit, I'm like, you know, I might have to turn this off for uh, a little yeah, bit. Those last uh, 20 minutes, you're yeah, like, wow, yeah. I'm good. So, and I think that's a lot of, of his other films, you know, Black Swan... Uh, is a very exhilarating, very yeah. captivating movie, and then it just kind of turns into like this really dark thing. And I think we talked about the wrestler being like his most like leveled film. Yeah, and most I think grounded that's, movie. Yeah, and I think that's the one a lot of people can revisit um, a lot and digest a lot easier. So, for sure, yeah. for sure. Um, there was another comment here by Lucas Bradley. He says no- Noah is shockingly an all-time favorite of mine. The concepts and ideas he explores in the film are fascinating. He dives into so much. That watching it multiple times is a much is a must. Um, yeah, Noah is one that I definitely want to rewatch again. It's been a while for me. Um, I remember initially um, diving into it and kind of appreciating everything. But yeah, it's crazy. An all time favorite. It, it, that's definitely one that is another one that's kind of been split ish mm-hmm. with the critics. Um, I know the audience is. It's clearly not something yeah, that connects with the audience connect. but with the critics the critics were like i don't know how to view this movie this is weird yeah i mean i remember watching that movie like opening weekend and me and my friend and um my friend's uh parent was like really you guys are gonna see Noah?" <laughs> like i heard their reviews on that were just horrible <laughs> like yeah. i was like really i heard they were pretty great so yeah. uh, it was it was it was a weird phenomenon i think noah is definitely a movie that um benefits a lot from rewatch and because when i saw it initially i was like yeah it's all right but um, it works in a lot of different ways. Yeah, once again, guys, we want to be taking more of your comments. So we'll be making posts in Schmelville. So make sure you're on that um, Schmelville post page. Um, and we want to talk about more filmmakers that you guys enjoy as well. Um, let's jump into Denny. So Denny Villeneuve, like I said before, is a, is a well-known French-Canadian director who I feel now is like the hottest filmmaker right now as far as like... Every, he's like the Michael Fassbender of directors where everyone's like, who would be good in this role? Uh, Michael Fassbender. Now it's like, who, who can make this movie? Denny Villeneuve. Like, everyone yeah. wants to see it. Let's see a Denny version of Batman. A Denny <laughs> version of, like, a superhero movie. A Denny version of, like, uh, a Star Wars movie. People are always like, oh, Denny should make a Star Wars movie. It's, he's very much like that director that everyone has at the tip of their tongue. I'll ask you the same question I asked for Aronofsky. What did, De- what did, what did Denny Villeneuve's films mean to you? Um, well, in, in a lot of his movies, you see the idea of choice. You know what I mean? You see characters that are forced to in a, in a really complex situation, and how do they choose to get out of that? How do they choose to um, move on past that? And I think the, the touch of his films is just like you know, he's really good at orchestrating like a psychological trap for his characters. Like they have, they have to be in this position. And if, uh, the only way they could get out is choose A or B, the red pill or the blue pill. And I I think that's really interesting, um, cinematically because uh, a lot of times, a lot of films are like, oh, this is, uh, by nature, this is what life is. This is what, um, how we should passively move through. And, and, and and then the news films is like, no, you have to make a choice and that choice is going to like make or break like the psyche of this person. So I think that's really interesting. I I love all of 
his movies pretty much. Um, I can't really think of one that like stands out as like a, a bad movie or anything. They all yeah. are really powerful, very Which emotional. Which is rare in a filmmaker, right? Yeah, yeah. That's really rare. And like even like you said, even Aronofsky made some ones where you're like, nah. Mm-hmm. But but for me, I, I like all of Aronofsky's. But Danny makes you, every single one of them. You can watch and be like, damn, that's a really good movie. Yeah, yeah, and even if the subject material is dark, because a lot of his all of his are movies are dark, very dark. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much all of his movies are dark. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it says something about the society we live in. It says something. It has it always has commentary, always has meaning, and can always provoke discussion. So I always appreciate that in a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then once again, guys, if I'm going to repeat myself a lot, but one thing that I want to make sure we know is that this is our personal identification with the film. Not everything we say might necessarily be what the filmmaker initially wanted to say. Not everything we say might be what you got from the movie. Um, there's definitely going to be one Denny film that I'm going to talk about more personally than than necessarily what the filmmaker wanted to say, but more what I got from the movie. Um, you're going to get a lot of our interpretations of the meaning of Denny Villeneuve's films. And uh, l- let's jump into one that you mentioned to me this is a short film from Denny. It's called Next Floor. Yes. And this is a this is a ten minute short, mm-hmm. and it's something that you can find anywhere. It's you, I found it on Vimeo. To be honest, I, I just Vimeo. typed in Next Floor, and it's on Vimeo. Yeah. And this is pretty early on in his career. Um, Denny makes a lot of shorts. I think he has like four shorts, maybe that yeah. he has out there. Um, but you really wanted to bring this one up, so I'm going to let you talk. About yeah, it. yeah. I was really like when when we picked uh, Denny Villeneuve as our next topic. I was like. Okay, I want to talk about his movies, but I really want to talk about this short um, because if you can't, if you you want to watch this short, next floor is on, like you said, Vimeo. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, on Film Shrug. It's ten minutes or eight minutes. It's yeah, super short. It won about forty awards at a bunch of different film it festivals. Did it's very time. acclaimed, yeah. um, and I think that this is probably one of his first like pokes at like a political kind of satirish kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, what it basically is, is it's a short of it's a lot of like big cats like aristocrats or whatever just like eating food and it's literally just them eating food and um and they're being served like the most disgusting like animals or whatever it is i don't don't really know what they're eating but um and the servers are just serving it to them and then out of nowhere their long table of all these aristocrats just like fall to the ground uh fall like to like a floor underneath and and uh the waiters like all follow them downstairs I'm like, what? This is this is weird. But they just keep eating. Like they don't stop. Like they yeah. just continue as normal. Um, and then it happens again and again and again and again. I'm like, whoa, this is this is a trip. And um, and eventually towards the end, they just like keep go barreling down like down to like the depths of the earth. And uh, I just think it's a really interesting commentary on like the the hierarchy of like wealth. You know what I mean? Yeah. These cats could sit at the top, they could eat, and you know, you have these servants who are just they're serving them and we'll follow them down to every floor. And it's, I think it's a piece. It came out in 2008, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Denny Villeneuve's Canadian, French Canadian, but uh, this was, this came out during the time of the economic crisis in America. Mm-hmm. And I think this speaks a lot towards that, right? Like the class discrepancy, um, the way like the hierarchy can fall like rapidly, but nothing will change for the, the guys on top. Yeah. Uh, that's e- good. But everything will change for the guys on the bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I just thought it was like, wow, this is one of the most thought-provoking 
um, kind of one of the simplest concepts I've ever seen, but has so much to say, and I think that speaks a lot to Villeneuve's like filmography. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously his direction of that is top notch. Yeah, it's very, it's a very weird movie. Like the way it's yeah. directed, there's a lot of like zooms, a lot of the like sound, crazy music. The sound of the plates. I just, I, I, I saw this short and I couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, I feel like throwing up, man. This is just gross. It's super. It, it's supposed to be very gross, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. It has a lot to say about kind of the the gluttony of the higher class society is how much they have and and they've had enough and they're clearly in pain of how much they've eaten yeah and yet they choose to eat more there's one scene in particular where um they've just gone down like the fourth time or something like that and they're just in so much pain not just from the falling but just from how full they are of how much they've eaten and then one guy looks at the other guy one rich guy looks at another rich guy Mm -hmm. and he looks at him and he's almost like Oh yeah, I'm gonna eat more than you, bro. Like, yeah, he's just, like, it's like a competing. competition. Yeah. He's competing with him as far as like how much more he can eat, and it's just it's a hard watch. It's very much a hard watch, but it, you're right. It has a lot to say about society and how much people are willing to take so much that they're mm-hmm. in pain of how much they have. Yeah, it's crazy. And again, we don't normally talk about shorts on here, but I was like, this is. Uh, this is something that anybody can watch. Everybody has access to. It's more of a recommendation. Right. It's, it's a more recommendation. like, hey, check yeah. it out. Um, we're not giving pretty much anything away. It's like the first yeah. two minutes of the short. Yeah. Um, so we definitely recommend checking that one out as well. Um, I say we jump into more of his filmography, and then we'll discuss his filmmaking tactics as we go along. You yeah. Like that's cool? Yeah, that's perfect. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously he has that film Polytechnic. Oh, yeah. Um, Polytechnic. We're not really going to talk about that one no, that much. Yeah. Um, Sorry, because I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's kind of impossible <laughs> to find people. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. It's hard to find that movie. Um, and it's also, like, just kind of like a short, like, black and white thing. It is. Thing, it's it's so. very short. It's like 100 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, it's a feature, but it's barely a feature kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about his feature films, and I know you wanted to talk about that short as well. Yeah. So um, before we jump in, actually, let me. If I have one thing to say about Denny, we'll we'll talk about it more going ahead. But for me, the thing that makes Denny one of the greatest directors working in Hollywood right now, and I will clearly, unabashedly say that, is his um, genius with pacing. Mm-hmm. I think he is one of, a master at pacing. Mm-hmm. He just he paces scenes and he paces all his films and he creates tension, he creates moments, he creates character desires through tension through pacing and it and it's done so well and I feel like pacing is something that everyone mentions but I don't really know if they know what it means mm-hmm. but it's something that is so crucial in filmmaking, mm-hmm. right? Because if something is paced just just long enough cuz all his films have a touch of like if he if he cut any any if he cut if he waited even 5 seconds more you mm-hmm. would be like this is too long it's yeah, too long exactly. he drags things out just at the right point where you're just like we get it oh wait okay that was perfect because mm-hmm. he he pulls things out and all his movies have like a very long feel like a long build-up feel whether it's sicario or prisoners or any of those movies they they have moments in the film where you're just like you feel so much of it because they 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 focus so much of one scene on one moment and you're just like feeling the weight of it and that's all done and through his pacing that's one of my favorite things he does yeah i mean it's a lot of what he does is like a master class of like editing right mm-hmm. you can look at his films and you can kind of like just learn 
what the idea of tension is. We're going to talk about Sicario a little later. Yeah. Um, but that bridge scene in that movie is like, they they teach that in like film schools. Like, yeah. Like, look they at actually how, have. Look at how the cut breakdown here is like this last nine seconds. It goes to four seconds, three seconds, then it goes frame by frame. So it's. it's, it's They're literally teaching Denny in school. Yeah. And then you can. <laughs> That's even, how good he is. And you could, you could look at uh, a lot of like different video essays about, you know, I mean, people, it's crazy how much his, his work is just like influenced like a new generation of like neorealism yeah stuff like because he he borrows a lot um we talked about aronofsky last week kind of being like a formalist kind of an experimental um expressionist kind of filmmaker denny Villeneuve's like almost kind of the opposite yeah he relies a lot on the realism the grittiness um the focus on on character and story and not really so much like the flashy filmmaking and stuff but really building like you said towards the tension and stuff like that so yeah he, and he does that so well for sure mm-hmm. let's jump into his films um one of his first films that came out was a movie called incendies mm-hmm. uh and incendies is one that not a lot of people talk about mainly because it's in french right it's right. a french movie um well it's not a it's it's the language is french right but mm-hmm. it takes place in canada um so Let's let's talk to you guys about this movie. If you haven't seen it, that's okay. Um, we'll we'll kind of talk about the, the the meaning of it without getting too much into the details of the spoilers. But this is w- what we want to do is kind of almost pitch Incendies to you. Um, so basically, Incendies is about twins who just found out that their mother died. This is all in the first literally ten seconds of the movie. Yeah. Um, and the in the will of their mother, their mother says, "Hey." By the way, before you bury me, um, my will is that you can't, basically you can't bury me, mm-hmm. is what she says, right. unless you um, find and your long lost brother, brother and, and your, your long lost dad. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean long lost brother? Long... You never told us we had a brother and you told us our dad died. Mm-hmm. So why are you making us do this is kind of the whole thing. But basically it's the mother grew up in a very war-torn Palestine, I believe is what it, what it was. Well, they don't specifically name the country. They have Palestine. You see, like... Uh, That's the only reason why I, yeah, I say yeah. Palestine. Yeah, yeah. You see it in windows and stuff, but they don't specifically say it's Palestine. They don't. Which is weird, because I had to, like, look up a bunch of, like, reviews and editorials. Like, where does this actually take place? Mm-hmm. And um, and a lot of people are like, it doesn't take place in Palestine. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess they shot it in uh, Jordan. Um, okay. So, I guess, like, that's cool. also... And yeah, thanks for the correction, because I assume it's Palestine based on that sign that says Palestine. Yeah. There's not really, they don't really say what country it's in, but you know it's in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and you know that there's a war going on in the Middle East between, at least in this country, between Christians and Muslims. Mm-hmm. And it's very, like, extreme Christians and extreme Muslims to the right. point of extreme violence that we see so much in the Middle East. And they're... We see basically a parallel journey, which I love about the movie, because it's a parallel journey with the children and the mother. mother. Um, so it's the mother when she was younger, and basically it's the origin story of the mom, and then it's the daughter, mainly the daughter, but the son towards the end, who kind of goes on this journey to find out what the mother's backstory is, and then it cuts to the mother's backstory, and we go back and forth between the daughter trying to find out about the mom's backstory and the the actual mother's backstory of what all the shit she's been through in mm-hmm. in, in her life growing up in a war torn nation filled with war violence terrorism and just awful acts of humanity and decisions that she has to make that are very you know personal and very destructive to her. Um, essentially, what I what I really like about the movie besides. I like the the structure of it. I like that yeah. it's a parallel journey. I like that the the first cut that they have with the flashback of the mom. 
I didn't even notice it. Mm-hmm. I legit thought it was still the daughter. I was like, what's the daughter doing? Oh, that's the mom. It's mm-hmm. a flashback to the mom. Yeah. And then it cuts back to the daughter. And then it cuts back to the mom. I thought the structure of the movie is probably, besides the performances and, and, the, and the, you know, the ending, is the thing that stands out the most. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different type of structure. It's a parallel journey, but it's also like a book. It has chapters in it, right? And mm-hmm. they actually say the chapters. They have names yeah. of the chapters. And it's almost like an eight-chapter book inside a movie what, what do you think of this movie man because i know it's something that it's 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 different for you right because you've you've seen this one recently yeah i i literally was like watching this in the car on the way here yeah. <laughs> um it's a, it's an it's a crazy movie i think is it, it obviously focuses on like the geopolitics of like what is could be happening in this middle eastern thing um middle eastern country that it, it takes place and again like i'm not spe- exactly sure where it takes place sure um i've even heard like conflicting reports like the play takes place like not in palestine so i don't know i'm not sure the play that's based on at least um you know it it, it kind of and, and, and again it, we see this a lot in villanue's films but it's about these ordinary people kind of trapped in this like extraordinary world yeah um that is real, is gritty, is violent, is war, you know, and how, especially when you see like the mother's backstory, it's like it's awful. Yeah, and she's trying to go to university. She's trying to, you know, find relationships and connections, and she's trying to just be, live life. But in the meantime, there's this whole big war waging against like Christianity, Muslims, refugees who are like trying to come in and we even see that scene early on where like i guess it was her her brother right or somebody who just like she was with like a, a refugee and they just like shot him point blank yeah yeah it was it's crazy how like um how just nuts this world is this environment is and that's real life i mean it, that's what a lot of people experience. and it's a daily experience for many mm-hmm. people in the middle east where it's like they're going through hell literally they're going through war literally whether they're a part of the war or not, whether they pick a side or not, whether they're on a different side or on another side. There's violence on both sides. We see that very clearly in the movie. That's something that stood out to me was the fact that there's so much war. She, I mean, she, it's crazy how much she phases back and forth. And, in, and even towards the end of the movie, you see the, fa- the phase back and forth of like, mm-hmm. what side are you on? I, I don't know, whatever side gets me, I guess, right? Because she right. starts out, she's like, I'm Christian, I love the Lord, and this, oh, wait, no, well, these people did that. Well, maybe I can work for the Muslims. Oh, wait, the Muslims just bombed this thing. Well, yeah. maybe I could, it's, it's just like, she's on whatever side offers her a side. She's yeah. on whatever side offers her peace and just peace of mind, really. Yeah, and there's no no clear answers, right? Like, there's no good guy, no bad guy. Yeah. Um, it's it's mainly to show, at least what I felt was to show the how extreme violence on both sides goes. How there's not really a side you can take that this is the good side because they fight with no violence, with peace, and with just no. They both fight with extreme violence and with extreme war, and they both commit horrific acts and they both commit good acts. It, it, it's it's awful on both sides. It really is. There's not really a clear choice there. Um, one thing that stood out to me very much in the movie was that the daughter of the mother um, who, who's going on this journey, she's a, a, like a super expert, extreme mathematician. Yeah. And I right. thought that was so cool because there's a scene where she's in math class and she's like a, a CA or a teacher in math class. Right. Um, a teacher's assistant in math class in a university and the mathematician who's the professor of it is like this you know super wise old guy mm-hmm. introduces the class the class as pure mathematics mm-hmm. and he goes on to say you know welcome to pure mathematics this is the most insane mathematical course you will ever take you will you will attempt to solve problems that are unsolvable you will completely destroy your social life 
welcome to pure mathematics this is your teacher and right. then she comes out and you're like damn yeah. <laughs> i would never want to take that class right but the the the, te the professor and and the daughter have a really good interaction where the the daughter says you know hey my mom just told me that i have a brother i never knew and i have a, a, a my dad is still alive and she wants me to go find him mm. and and i just can't keep getting out of my head and he says you're 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 a genius mathematician mm -hmm. solve this problem right Th this is your you know solve your x solve your y this is your math equation that you are such a genius in math that's use this as a math equation try to solve life in a mathematical uh way you mm -hmm. use your expertise to try and solve it and at the end of the movie i don't want to spoil it because i really want you guys to see it if yes. you haven't she can't yeah she she finds out that some things in life don't mathematically add up and that's mm -hmm. why there's a line in the movie that the brother says one plus one can never equal one right mm -hmm. and then she's she just is so confused by that because some things in life are just so horrific and so bad that you can't mathematically try to solve it in a logical way some things just don't make logical sense because life can be so cruel sometimes that even your genius expertise or even things in the world that you think would make sense, sometimes just the world is so against you that you're not going to find that answer. Right. I thought that was so fascinating that she's this mathematician trying to solve a problem. And at the end, she solves it, but not she, she doesn't solve it in a mathematical way. Yeah. What she thought she would. Right, right. And, and, and I think this attests to the fact that a lot of like Villeneuve's characters are people who are really smart and really good at what they do. Um, almost like experts. I mean, she's that, a, she's a math. She if you watch this movie, she knows like this crazy like problem and equation that even like like people who were like involved in the movie like you know like uh, didn't really know like a solution to. They had to bring in like real mathematicians to like help help out with just like this little detail. And it's the fact that they're able to nail down these fine little details with each and every character um, that they have here. Is, is great and like you said they're able to use their intelligence to find the answer or not find the answer yeah no it's it's, it's hard um uh, to always apply what your field of expertise is to anything mm -hmm. um and i think particularly in in the case of incendies is like oh no this is it's, it's not as straightforward as that you have yeah. to look a little deeper um everything's not going to be shown to you and i think that's one of the brilliant things about villeneuve is like He's treating his characters like he treats the audience. You know, yes. we're not going to give you every answer to the question you have. Yeah. We're not going to show you. We're not going to give you clues here and there. It's not like a traditional movie because it. When you really think about it, it's almost like a. It's like a war movie mixed with like a new war kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Just like searching, finding these details, mystery, mystery. Yeah. So, um, but unlike most films, it's not like the 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 pudding is right in front of you. You have to search and you have to look and even looking into the into the mother's backstory you kind of see some echoes of what you might see coming down the line towards the ending but in the end it's like like you have to be paying attention you have to be watching this movie in order to like get it and i think that's really impressive and that's something that we see kind of in all denny's films as far i like what you said about real quick i like what you said about denny almost all his movies feature an expert in something that's mm -hmm. so true that's i mean we see that in arrival with amy adams as uh -huh. an expert jimmy renner is an expert right. it's like they're the top of the top of whatever field they're in i think that's super cool because we get to see the mind of someone else how do they, how do they go about life in a different way when you're a language expert like in arrival or, or science or a mathematician or sicario or, or, or sicario or, when yeah. you're a professional killer right right i think that's really cool but um 
I I I like how all of Denny's films kind of have like a circular yes, thing. Yes. The beginning is the end. The end is the beginning. Yes. Kind of all that whole. We see that in Incendies too. With, yeah. With with kind of like little details towards the beginning and little details towards the end that come full circle. It all of Denny's films have a theme of circle, pretty much. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about we're gonna that talk about more that quite prisoners. A bit. Yeah. But but it it really is all he doesn't like that linear. Beginning and beginning and then he doesn't like that. And he said that before in many interviews. He says he likes the circular structure of not just pretty much all his films have a circular structure. Yeah. And, and I think that's completely fascinating. But yeah, that's that's um, last word on incendies for me is that my biggest takeaway is obviously seeing everything that people go through to try and reach peace. That's one thing. And then the second thing is what I said before about how a mathematician tries to solve a problem of life using mathematics or using the, the, the concepts of mathematics. Mm -hmm. And she realizes that sometimes it doesn't add up, literally. Right. And and for me in the Cindy's, I mean, obviously it's an acclaimed film. It was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film uh, when it came out. And I think this movie indicates a lot of like the themes of geopolitics, um, what the relationship to people in war is who are like living in these war-torn Middle Eastern countries. Uh, or just like war-torn countries in general, like it doesn't necessarily have to be just the Middle East, but um, you know, there's obviously problems uh, throughout the world, which is devastating. But in narrowing in on like these specific characters, you really get to see how impactful and how dangerous and how uh, how remorseful uh, you end up in the end of like these are the conditions that we have to live with. Yeah, so it's absolutely. Um, let's move on to his next release, which you think would be Enemy, but it's actually Prisoners. Yeah. Um, so let's go in order just because. Um, prisoners. Let's go to Prisoners. Uh, this movie is crazy. <laughs> yeah. This movie's insane. Um, honestly, it's between this one and Arrival for me as my favorites, and it's between this one and Arrival for me as like perfect films. Mm, legit. Okay. They're perfect films mm -hmm. as far as like i don't know how denny is ever going to top himself I and mean, i guess he kind of does in different ways but he does it in different genres mm -hmm. um prisoners to me is just a testament in acting it's a testament in so many different things but the main thing that stands out to me in prisoners and uh, as you guys have probably seen this movie hugh jackman's in it uh jake gyllenhaal terrence howard uh viola davis it's a great cast um but the thing that from that really stands out to me is a concept of faith yeah, the concept of morality and faith, um, and and how again we talked about faith quite a bit last week with Dar uh, Darren Aronofsky, but how I was thinking about it. Besides, you know, doing this whole study of Denny and doing this whole study of all these movies, I I kind of go in and out of dreams with it and stuff. Just I just freaking obsess over these guys you, so you much. You become like Amy Adams. <laughs> Amy Adams. Yeah. I can see the future, guys. Um, <laughs> but I, I started to realize that what is to stop me from doing certain things? And this is me personally, right? This is me watching TV or just watching sports and watching commercials and, and thinking to myself, what is to stop me from doing something against um, that I, I personally, my, my flesh desires it, I guess you can say, but, but, but my heart stops me or what what is it that stops me from from having no inhibitions and just going beyond my way and for me personally it's my faith right it's 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 my walk with the lord i guess you can say and for a lot of people that's what it is i mean it, not for everyone but that's what it is for a lot of people and that's that concept that denny has in this movie mm -hmm. whereas hugh jackman has you know very very much in his faith very very much grounded in his faith and that's usually what stops him from committing atrocities however he he 
he drops it or almost uses that in a way to justify his atrocities and in a way to almost like step over the boundaries of morality and still be okay with his faith and almost just see that as like a testament of God where it's like I'm doing this because because God allows me to do to break these rules in in times of extreme need. I think that's just so fascinating between your faith, your inhibitions and your morality, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what keeps people balanced is like I'm not going to commit these awful acts of sin because of my faith. Right, right, exactly. And um like you said, of course prisoners deals a lot in the idea of faith, religion, um particularly with the Hugh Jackman character being representative representative of a man who is so gun hold to his faith and his religion and how this tragic situation of just losing his daughters uh, brings him to this breaking point mm-hmm. of like he has to kind of abandon that stuff. And we kind of, we don't know a lot about his past. Um, we get some glimpses knowing that his father committed suicide. Yeah. Um, we know... Uh, you know, we, we know very little about him, basically, but we know he has a, a, a thing for alcoholism. So, and seeing uh, in the context of the story, it's like, is he reverting back to his old ways? Is he ditching Christianity in general? But meanwhile, we have this character of Loki, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, Detective mm-hmm. Loki, who is non-religious, who wears Freemason rings, who wears, uh, who has like... Um, no, satanic, not satanic, but like it's Freemason tattoos on his neck. Seven star tattoo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you know he eight star tattoo. I'm sorry. Yeah, so a lot of that is Freemason, um, you know, iconography that is all about you know searching for an institution or being free of an institution. Um, but meanwhile, he's kind of on a path of self discovery himself. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily faith, but it's definitely um, a form of uh, of of belief that he's looking for and that he has to interpret in order to to crack this case um at the same time where we have this overarching antagonist towards the end like the big bad guy is like literally the devil right like she has snakes um she's putting these kids on lsd to like dream of snake venom yeah snake venom yes she says that she's in a a war with god Yeah, yeah yeah exactly so it's, it's strange that, and obviously we have the other cast members like Paul Dano, and I can't exactly remember who plays the other son um, in, the, in the film of the... the oh, yeah, he's, he's a great actor, but I forget his name. Yeah, he was in The, um, the Dark Knight. Yeah, he was the Dark in Knight, The Dark Knight yeah. Rises. And, um, Dark Knight, sorry. Yeah, he's, he's great. And, and I think that overall we see uh, hints of like symbolism that kind of talks to um, the ideas of faith and belief and re- religion yeah uh, that's why i really i, I got a lot I, I got a lot out of this movie because of that because it resonates with me so much with faith um hugh jackman's character there's a scene when he when he's when he has paul dano in the shower yeah and he, and he and he keeps burning him and burning him and there's a scene where he literally takes a knee and he's like god help me and i'm like dude what god yeah. you're burning this guy dude yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're seriously like praying to god right now to be like hey man just you know jesus please help me right now and i'm like dude you're you're burning a guy yeah you're, you're committing something that's so awful and so just against God pretty much and and yet you're you're praying to him as if you're doing his will somehow yeah. and it's crazy because it's like i said before using moments to justify your sin right where it's like if my daughter is kidnapped by some sort of psychotic weirdo uh, you bet your ass i'm going to you know kick his kick right. some people's ass exactly. right yeah. but but it, it it's almost to the point of like 
can you do that, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the faith of the Lord, can, can, you, can you push boundaries if boundaries against you were pushed? It, does God give you a free pass somehow? You know what I'm saying? Like that shouldn't be the case whatsoever. And yet that's what he feels in the movie is that I do have a free pass because I'm confronted with something that's so demonic in nature, right? Mm-hmm. With, with, with people who kidnap children that to, to combat these satanic, demonic people, I have to let go of a lot of my Christian morality and use tactics that they would use. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, right. That, that it's one of those concepts of like holding on to your faith. What does that mean to you? Yeah. Does that mean, you know, committing things that you feel are necessary and going above above the law? Because a lot of this movie is about the law, right? Mm-hmm. Going because because um, what's this? Uh, Loki represents the law. Right. He represents doing it law by and order, law, yeah. law and order, cop, procedure, detective, going as far as you're allowed to go, somewhat. Mm. And and Hugh Jackman represents going out of the law, going vigilante mode, right. going too far, pretty much. And you know, and we see a lot of like those themes, uh, you know, in in the film, whether it be through like the use of mazes. Again, it, it all goes back to the idea of the psychological trap. Like you're mm-hmm. trapped in what your mind is, you know, going to limit you to or what your capacity is going to limit you to, what your occupation is going to limit you to. And that's definitely, I think, the case here where you see all of these men are kind of trapped by what what they believe in and how they're, how they're breaking out of that. You know, Paul Dano and the other son are, um, are very, like, trapped and, like, a, like, mentally, like, disabled. Like, they, they're literally, like, trapped, like, boys trapped in, in men's bodies because of... Uh, the drugs and all the stuff that their mother... Who's, it's a psychological you know, torture as Right, well. psychological torture. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we see him using, like, the use of mazes trying to get out of his mind. You know what I mean? And obviously, the, the maze is a, is a symbol that comes from Christian and pagan belief um, initially as as a form of... I know, I know it from the Greek mythology. Yeah, Greek mythology centaur. as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. the centaur and, and the minotaur and whatnot. And, yeah. and it, I mean, it represents a lot. And you, you even see with Jake Gyllenhaal's character, like Loki, his name is Loki coming from like a Norse guy. Yeah, that's the other thing yeah. too. I can't lie. Watching this movie the first time, I'm like, he's like, I'm Loki. I'm like, Loki? <laughs> yeah, Thor's brother? What's happening here? Like, yeah. Your mom named you Loki? Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that stood out to me more. But that's very... That's very much Denny being like, I, I'm making this very obvious. But go ahead and explain Loki, yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, the, the name comes from like the, uh, the Norse, god, Norse, yeah, Norse god who um, is a trickster, mm-hmm. obviously, but it, it sometimes goes and serves other gods and is and um, you know it's, it's not it's not like what you see in like the Thor movies or or like it's the comic not. books. It's different. Um, and what what is is he he goes to different guys and services them, try and find something that they're looking for, and um, might play tricks. But it's yeah, also... Loki Loki represents at least to me personally. You're studying on Loki represents more gray, right? Yeah, less black and white, more gray. And he, that's I think that's the theme of you know... of 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 Loki's character, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in the movie, is that he's very much not black and white. He's not extreme one way, extreme the other. He's he represents kind of the middle ground of like using tactics that if they might be above the law, slightly above the law, but never going too far. He always has that middle ground that he's kind of trying to walk the path of that. And again, I think that plays into like the the Freemason stuff with the rings and whatnot. Is like he he doesn't have an institution. 
He's just serving himself. Not yeah. serving himself, but he's using his own beliefs and principles to serve other people. And that's yeah. how he, he ultimately, you know, um, and when he comes to a point of discovery, when he, like, actually finds, like, the antagonist, he's, like, literally blinded. He gets shot in the eye. Like, yeah. You know, so it's like, uh, it, it is a gray area. And I think that's what even is reflecting, like, the beautiful, like, cinematography from, like, Oof. Roger Deakins. Ooh, that cinematography is so good. Yeah. And, and you see, like, the color palette is always bleak. It's always a little, like, slightly toned into, like, a... A great. There's no real like use of black or white, but you see like the darkness and the light. I think that's what reflects a lot more. Your the the use of lighting, like top lighting, side lighting, to kind of minimal lighting to tell the story in a way that you're vividly painting these characters in the in the world in a very bleak, like downbeat way. But the environment in total is just like. You know, it it, it, it it paints a, a picture and a mood to get you to understand what these characters are going through. So. Yeah, it, it's so funny because this movie is one of those movies that is very, at a surface level, you see it's a dad trying to find his daughter and a cop trying to find him and going above the law. It's way deeper than that. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most deep movies, actually. I mean, if we can have a whole podcast about it, I would, because it, it deals so much with, with humanity, with morality, um, with faith. Because I do, I actually... I do feel like Loki or Jake Gyllenhaal's character is is kind of on a faith journey in a, in a very different way. Yes, in, in, a, in a faith that in the faith that he believes in, that that he feels what is right and what is wrong. I feel like that's kind of his journey throughout the movie mm-hmm. is finding out what his faith is in a sense. Right. Um, one thing I do want to say is the antagonist in this movie, the bad guy in this movie, mm-hmm. is so, is something that's so interesting because the the, the couple starts out as like. They lose their son to cancer, and then they, they kind of take that as like a message of like, if God is willing to let my son die of cancer, I'm going to go far. And what her concept is, the evil woman in this, in this story, is that she says that once she kidnaps the kids, the true evil nature of their parents come out. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of their, the war they wage with God is, is what she calls it in the movie. It's, it's, it's her way of, 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 of demonizing people and taking almost taking it's almost like taking people from heaven right mm-hmm. because right. it's like this guy has a past to heaven i'm going to take away his past to heaven by breaking him down so much emotionally and and morally by 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 literally kidnapping his kid mm-hmm. and that's his moral ground that's what represents your moral ground that's what represents the thing that keeps you sane is your child right if someone takes that away from you you all of a sudden lose your morality almost lose yourself and almost lose your way to heaven right almost lose your relationship with god because you're so hurt and so destroyed by losing something so pure and so precious like a child because that's what a child represents it represents purity it represents um innocence and and if you if you break the innocence in in a parent what happens to you and i I felt like that's so hardcore evil like the I, i i don't know how you felt in the movie but i was just like I, I, just the fact that someone is kidnapping kids, destroying them mentally, and then using snake venom to fucking kill them, yeah. like it really gets you mad, right? Because that that's kind of the concept of 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 breaking people down to the point of, like I said before, almost like in a demonic way, almost in in a way of they're they're serving the devil by doing these atrocities to these parents, and and it's and it's felt so much with Hugh Jackman's character, and you see it. 
all the way up until the end where mm. Jackman does break all of his morals. He mm-hmm. breaks everything and he ends up getting buried in like a literal hell. You know yeah. what I mean? He literally is uh, underground. He can't get out. And I think that's very powerful. I don't know if he's saying like the, that in the end, evil is going to win out. Good is going to win out. The gray area that's represented in Detective Loki wins out. What What is what is the point? And you never know. You never fully understand. I Absolutely. think that's the point. But, the- but, but to, as, as a... I, I believe that for sure, but I also, me personally seeing the movie and me seeing it through my point, POV, my eyes, my, you know, point of view and my positioning towards of it mm-hmm. is like, maybe that is God's way of answering his prayer. Mm-hmm. The last prayer that Hugh Jackman says is, God, please, please let my, bo- let my daughter be okay. Please mm-hmm. let her be safe. That's, that's all he wants. If, if I got to die, God, if I got to lose myself for my daughter to be okay then I'm okay with that, God. If I need to die and if I need to starve to death in this cave, as long as I know that my daughter's okay or as long as she's okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah. And in a way, God did answer his prayer with Loki, right? right. Because his daughter was okay. She, she, she is going to make it out alive. That's something we find out at the end of the movie is that she's going to be okay. Yeah. And then now he, he can know that God did answer his prayer and, and in a very extreme, in a very muddled way. But in a way, it's like, yeah, I mean... All this stuff that you did, and, and all ho- as horrible as it was, and but at the end of the day, God heard your prayers. You're still getting punishment for what you did, but at the end of the day, God is not going to take it out on that little girl. He's going to let that girl be saved by Jake Gyllenhaal's character of Loki, who who was willing to stay within the morality of the of the of of morals and of the law, right? So he's not willing to go outside the law because he thought uh, Hugh Jackman's character thought that going outside the law will make it okay. But Jake Gyllenhaal's character knew that working within his own boundaries and his own faith of keeping himself centered, he was able to find that little girl and save that little girl. Right. And, um, and uh, yeah, and we see, we see a lot of uh, ways that, you know, we, we could point to that. Um, I, I remember reading an interview with Jake Gyllenhaal where he talks about the thing that makes Denis Villeneuve so great as a director is his attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, just like every single frame means something. Um, to uh, the story, to the to the characters, and we see it even when like they're driving and he has the cross on in the middle, and then when things start to get a little shaky, the the cross starts shaking, it's tilted sideways, you know. And again, the attention to detail and 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 finding those little pieces, and we talked again about the tattoos and and the rings and what those might represent, but we don't have we don't necessarily have the answers to that we but don't know yeah and it's just it's, it's interesting it's that. little details because he has i think he has a tattoo on his hand across yeah right yeah and Loki does a jake Hall's character yes. yeah um, and w- which which also confuses it because then you see like you said the ring and you see the neck tattoo which stands out like crazy mm-hmm. right because you see if you see a guy with a neck tattoo you're like damn bro <laughs> yeah you got a neck tattoo <laughs> right right and, and then the the cross tattoo on his hand too it kind of throws things off because you're like wait a minute you have that crazy star and then you have a cross yeah. I, I think it's supposed to represent personally this is what i'm getting out of it is is the concept of of keeping your faith right mm. whether it's the christianity whether it's the star whether it's the ring it, it's it's keeping it right? It, right it's making sure you stay firm in what you believe in and that right. and have faith that it's going to turn out in in a good way whether everything in the world is going against you right and and there could be multiple interpretations yeah. on that too yeah. i mean i kind of what i kind of take away is that um, maybe nailing yourself down to an ideology maybe isn't the best idea. Okay. Uh, maybe uh, for um, Loki's character, just kind of like being amongst his free will, but also like 
like staying loyal to like the the laws of the land he's able to find self-discovery um and that he finds the little girls but he's also like finding what the meaning of like what he what he's starting to believe in i mean and i think it it all comes down to i think an interesting quote that denny villeneuve has um in one of the i believe the commentary of of the movie he says uh you know the whole point of the film is not to show but to suggest and i Mm. think that's really um what they're going for here so yeah i i I love this movie and obviously as far as the filmmaking wise goes it's incredible as well um any last word on prisoners no it's a brilliant movie obviously it was nominated for the uh, the academy award for best cinematography we talked about roger deakins um being nominated for that and we're going to talk about oh yeah we're going to talk about some 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 dp action right 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 cinematography action right um yeah cool let's move on to his other film that followed this one which is one that he really wanted to make yeah that's enemy Enemy, yes. With uh, starting Jake Gyllenhaal, and I feel like this film, this film, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out of all his films, you're very much like, holy crap, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's a trippy movie. This um, is this is by least. far his most experimental movie. It's by far his most um, bizarre. Um, it's by by far his most open to interpretation. His more symbolic movie. The whole movie is is almost an encapsulation of of the mind, right? It's supposed to represent consciousness and subconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be kind of a, a battle that's going on between um, the battle inside the mind of Jake Hall's character. Right. What do you, what do you think of this movie enemy? Um, it's a cool movie, man. I mean, it is, uh, it's, 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 diff- it's difficult. It's, it's a trippy, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to dissect in it. Um, it's, because I, going in fresh, I, I feel like I, w- I want to preface this by saying, sorry to interrupt you, I'll mm-hmm. let you continue, but I went in super fresh in this movie. I don't know about you, but, but there's a lot of people that don't go in fresh in this movie and going kind of knowing what's going on. I didn't. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to hear your No, I mean, I, I definitely like heard a lot of the buzz around it Got beforehand. It. I knew, I knew the whole spider thing was, <laughs> was a prevalent thing. I mean, I still don't, I kind of, the spider, the spider, I think, well, first off, just overall as a movie, I think, uh, the is the whole idea of having like the the actor Jake Gyllenhaal character and the history teacher. Um, I think they're just one and the same. I think that's pretty straightforward. I think they even tell you as much in the movie. They do, yeah. Um, and, and I mean, and they've said it a million times. They're like, yeah, it's the same person. Yeah, and and there's a quote from Denny Villeneuve where he says, uh, uh, "The film is a documentary of my subconscious." So yeah. he's he's definitely like exploring like what. Uh, the subconscious wants the needs versus the desires um you know what we lust for over what we sustain by and i think that's definitely like a prevalent theme and whether or not the whole sp- we're going to talk about the spiders i sure, guess we and, have and, to yeah um that's a little more trickier i think that's yeah. a little more like oh what, what are they going for here is it a metaphor for sex is it a metaphor for uh, reproduction is it a metaphor for fear uh, it could be all for, those things. Yeah, and you know we see a lot of different themes and 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 weird kind of trippy elements that uh, can allude to different elements. I said elements twice, but can allude to different aspects and interpretations. I should say of of the film. Uh, absolutely, especially with the spider. I, as far as the Jake Gyllenhaal character himself, first off, I want to say that Enemy is based off a. I think it's a Portuguese uh, book. Yes. Um, I think it's called The Double. Um, so there is kind of something that he's basing it off of, but yeah. So basically, it's Jake Gyllenhaal, the the history teacher, versus Jake Gyllenhaal, the actor, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of like a weird mix of his life, and it's so weirdly mixed in there, man. That there is moments in this film where you 
you really don't know. I mean, you kind of know towards the end of the movie, but towards the beginning of the movie, and even the middle, you're just like, what is going on? Like, is this guy, is this a clone? Is this his, I mean, what is, I, I personally was just like, I don't know what's going on half the time. But but it's, it's, his, it's his battle between his two sides, right? And a lot of it is his commitment with his wife, where his wife is pregnant. And, and having a pregnant wife kind of, it signifies you have to be committed. Mm. Your wife is pregnant. You're a real dick if you cheat on your wife when she's pregnant. And it's this whole concept of cheating and being faithful and, and, and sticking to one woman and one life that you want to lead versus the other side, which is being open, sleeping with whoever you want, doing whatever you want, acting in, in cheap movies, following your dreams and sleeping with whatever girl you want to do. Like that kind of no inhibitions kind of lifestyle that Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie wants to lead versus the history teacher, good wife, good apartment, good family, baby on the way, nice, happy, normal, so socially acceptable lifestyle right. versus having no inhibitions. And, and it's that we see that in different areas of, of the film where he is cheating on his wife, but he becomes a different person when he cheats on his wife, literally a different person. Mm -hmm. And then when he's with his wife, he's somewhat like they're almost depressed where he's just not happy because he's committed to one relationship and he's obsessed with women. And, and we see that with the weird creepy club scene where, where that yeah, weird, like the sex club uh, yeah. underground club that we find out. And it's like this thing where he, you can tell even when he dreams about it. Um, and, and that's kind of what I got out of it is that it's, it's this, um, do you want to commit and the, the baby, the pregnancy, represents commitment do you want to commit to having this lifestyle or you want to live the way you want to live and do whatever you want and sleep with whoever you want yeah and the spider represents to me right because it's all interpretation the spider represents that commitment of having that um the spider web is kind of something that's keeping you there and we see a lot of um uh, symbolism of the spider web right. whether it be the window in the, the car, car crash yeah or whether it be the city itself mm -hmm. as a spider web. And we obviously see the spider over the city as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's kind of what the spider represents. I cannot lie. I cannot lie. The last shot of this movie freaked the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, man. But yeah. again, I was watching the movie and I'm like, holy, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> I cannot lie. I freaked out for two reasons. One, it's obviously a jump scare. Two, I have a major phobia of spiders. Really? Oh uh, yeah, I am. I am the the Ron Weasley of spider phobia. You know how Ron and the Harry Potter movies hate spiders? Yeah. That's me. I hate spiders. That's my one. F I hate them so much that when this movie opened and I'm like, oh no, there's spiders in this movie. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> they squashed the spider in, in, in the very beginning. In the very beginning, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? No, don't do this. I hate spiders. But yeah. but um. That's what I got out of it as like this kind of web of like commitment and this kind of web of being stuck in one place where the baby means I have to be married to this woman. I now have a child with her. I have a child for the rest of my life. I'm stuck. I have this job for the rest of my life. I'm stuck. I have a wife for the rest of my life. I'm stuck. I'm in this spider web. I can't get out of it. And it sucks so bad, which is why I just want to be free, explore, ride my crazy motorcycle right. and sleep with, with hot girls. 
Right. And I think that the idea of lust is definitely a prevalent theme from the very beginning. We talked about that club scene. Um, but I think just opening on like his, his nude pregnant wife is like, oh, yeah, this, this is, you know, he's battling between commitment. But, you know, he's also like lusting over, you know, females and whatnot. And I think that this whole thing with the spider, I, it, it's kind of funny because I almost think it's almost like a metaphor for like monogamy or whether or not that's, you know, we're talking about. That's kind of what, that's so, kind of what I'm saying, too. And, right? yeah, it's, yeah, it's the concept of like. Being in one relationship, staying with your wife, or like I said, like you said, monogamy, or just being free from it. No monogamy, sleeping with whoever you want, and just being with every woman you want. Yeah, and that spider web, you know, you brought up a good point with the spider web deal, because it's like, yeah, you're going to be trapped in this web for the... The for rest the rest of your life. Uh, well, and, and even like spiders, like if you get trapped in the web, you're not getting out, you know, and they're going to kill you, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, you know, and um, is monogamy killing this dude? Is it killing his psyche? Um, what's happening here? I, and again, you know, he's touching on what what's the definition of lust? Um, how does that define a man? How does that define his psyche? How does that change his appearance, his personality? And how is that, you know, especially coming from somebody, a character who has split personality disorder or multiple personality disorder, uh, you know, he, he has to he has to reason with, you know, whether or not living uh, this lifestyle is going to make him believe, uh, live one way and pursue his dream of acting or whatever. Or is it going to result in him um, committing, um, living this lifestyle as a history teacher and whatnot so it's, it's an interesting movie it, it absolutely and what you said towards the end kind of hits the nail on the head as far as lust is lust as deep as jake Hall's character can go uh-huh. is monogamy is that gonna is sticking with his wife or monogamy gonna make him depressed and never make him happy does he want to pursue happiness and if happiness means not being with a one woman then is it worth giving up your life giving up your happiness for a normal life, I guess you want to say, yeah. or a non-monogamous life. Right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I think it's also like a big, bigger issue of like mental illness um, kind of sure. going in there as well, obviously. Um, his wife is, obviously his wife knows that he has this like split personality thing. So um, after a while, she just has to come to accept it. You know, she hasn't like tell him, you know, you have a problem, whatever, you have to accept it. And I think that's the only way, I think what the film is saying is that's the only way you're able to treat mental illness and how you're able to break it is let them come to reason with themselves and uh, let, you know, help them take care of themselves, obviously, but um, make sure that you're able to be open and accept and, uh, you know, and and therefore um, somebody with a mental illness or or special needs or whatever are, are um, loved and comforted enough to be able to um, go on that journey themselves. So, so. Absolutely, yeah. Um, my last thing on Enemy is um, Circle. It all comes back full circle. Yeah, the starts beginning with of the this voicemail. Starts at the end of the movie, yeah. and then it ends at the beginning of the movie, vice versa. It's one big circle, Yeah, the movie is. And I didn't catch that until towards the end. And I was like, oh yeah, the voicemail that my mom left Yeah, versus... The being told that her mom called him and left a voicemail is right. the beginning of the movie towards the end of the movie, all coming full circle. Um, also, Jake Shelton Hall in the motorcycle suit in the motor when he's like yeah. stalking that girl. That right. seems crazy. Yeah, that yeah. seems crazy because it, it really. This is more of acting as far as Jake Shelton Hall. His right. acting in that, his his just straight up ridiculous swag in mm-hmm. that when he's just chilling on the bike and he's just like. Walking over this girl and like zoom zoom with his bike and motorcycle, it just right. shows the two different sides of him. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Um, let's move on to Sicario. Sicario is a movie that came out, I believe, twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. 
this was one of my favorites of the year. We did the Schmoes um, top ten movies of the, movies of the year with me, uh, Copster, Cody, and I put this one at pretty much near my top five, if not my top three. Um, this movie, this movie's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Again, a lot of this movie hits. This movie is probably the most personal one for me because mm. this movie is all about my life dude i mean yeah. not not necessarily my life as far as like i'm 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 a hitman for a cartel but basically this movie takes place between um the border between the u.s is el paso juarez as everyone knows i grew up in el paso juarez mm. um whereas a lot of people know i don't know how many people know but right. i grew up in el paso for a while i grew up in juarez for a while um so this movie kind of takes place in a world that i know very well my dad worked in juarez for years mm. um so I know Juarez very well. I would, like, I literally lived in Juarez. Um, and I, I know El Paso very well. And then, obviously, it takes place in Arizona as well, which is where I'm from. Where, where I know the world of Arizona very well. Um, and then it t- has a lot to do with the Cartel of Mexico, the Mexican cartel. Right. And then the Colombian cartel, which, again, ironically enough, I'm Colombian. I'm from Cali, Colombia. So it, it has a lot of elements. There's a lot to say in this movie personally for me that they kind of touch on but overall this movie is amazing obviously it's one of the best movies as far as filmmaking like you said as far as building tension and creating pacing and it's also a lot of commentary on what i feel at least there's a lot of humanity at play but there's also a lot as far as the law Mm -hmm. and and the united states government right and how we kind of, or a lot of people who work for the U.S. government kind of see it in one light as far as like, hey, I'm working for the good guys. But then again, you're just like, wait, am I working for the yeah, good guys? Yeah, who's the good guys? Yeah. yeah I don't know. What guys? do you think about this movie? No, I think uh, I think this movie is like very anti-war on drugs kind mm-hmm. of deal. It kind of shows the consequences of the war on drugs and how, how people, how normal people have to reason with those consequences that come through a bigger entity, whether it be... Um, the um, Silvio character, who's just a regular cop um, for the Mexican state government, who is forced into this cartel world, and as a result, he ends up like lo- losing his life, you know, losing his family, and 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 uh, his family losing him. I should say, and it's like again, it's an underlying idea of corruption within like on that side of the border. But meanwhile, we're our main central character is Kate, you know, um, Emily Blunt. Who is a FBI? I believe FBI, right? Yeah, she is. Um, who you know, the start of the film opens up with them doing a raid on a house, finding all these weird bodies, and there's like what's happening. And um, long story short, she becomes recruited by the government to be part of like the special task force to go in and then do some investigation. Which is like, okay, the only reason which we find out towards the end, the only reason they brought her in is so they could be like you know sanctioned or and approved to do this mission. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just it's interesting, man. I mean, she's she's the moral compass of this movie. She's the only one with like an unbreakable morality. Uh, but like the whole question of morality just constantly comes into play, especially with the Benicio de Toro uh, character um, Alejandro, who is a guy who he, he's the bad guy, but he plays both sides of the border. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He has and he's to, working for the U.S. government. He's working for the government. Um, but he's also working on his own. He has his own agenda. He's working towards, um, you know, uh, he's a mercenary. He's trying to find redemption for the loss of his family. But the only way he can find redemption is through um, finding, like, the cartel leaders of, of, of his, you know, of that and and, and 
continuing the cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. You see like how the violence and the intensity of these situations could cause like a dehumanization of these characters. We see it with Josh Brolin, um, you know, playing, I think his name is Matt, Matt Gravy or whatever. And um, he and his character is like, oh, I just don't give a fuck, you know? Yeah. And you got to imagine, like, he's probably been in um, Emily Blunt's shoes uh, before, but after a while, it's just like, you know, who cares? This is just how the world works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the only way he, the only way he could see um, solving the problem is through violence, is through implementing um, the force of, you know, that he has. And I think the film kind of condemns all of the characters in a certain way, but it's also saying it's not going to change. You know what I mean? Um, it's saying that uh, violence gonna violence is gonna continue to be yet violence, um, but that's the only way that violent people are gonna see the means of solving their issues. Sure, sure. Um, um, as far as me personally connecting to this movie, um, again, I'm I'm gonna talk about this movie a lot on a personal level because again, that's kind of how it hits me. Um, especially not just with the concepts of the movie and the film, but also with the concepts of. Um, the kind of movies that Latinos are in, being someone who is Latino, this is what we get. We get a lot of cartel, a lot of drug, war, drug, pin, drug. This is this is pretty much, and I'm not just trying to say like, boo-hoo, poor us, but I'm trying to say like, this is the story that we're being told. And I, I, I talked about this with my mom a lot because she, obviously she's from Colombia and she grew up in Colombia and she grew up in all this, but um, I talked to her a lot about how the the Pablo Escobar drug craziness that happened in in the 80s and in the 90s of Colombia and how it's such a significantly powerful moment within the world that it's it's going to be a while till the Latino culture kind of lets that down or even Colombian culture specifically lets that down mm-hmm. as far as like when are we going to live this down it's like it's like the Roman Empire right where the gladiators were it's such a crazy thing that there was gladiators that we keep making movies about it, right? Yeah. It's such a crazy thing that this one drug pin controlled pretty much like 85% of the world's cocaine and created like, became like his own freaking military in, in a way right. and, and, and just led off to different um, different types of cartels, which is the Mexican cartel that we have now. It's going to be a while to the Latinos let that down. I'm, I'm hoping that Hollywood kind of picks up other stories as well. But for now, I'm, I'm in the ride. I'm in the journey as far as what it's going. Because I, there's shows like Narcos that have talked about this as well. Um, but it's something that, again, I've always been on the two sides of. Because I am Mexican and I am Colombian. So I am the Colombian lifestyle and the Colombian world and what they been, went through with Escobar and the Mexican lifestyle. And when I lived in Paso and I lived in Juarez, I have those two sides of me. Um, because of my mom and my dad and, and living across the border because I lived in border towns my whole life. So I see the border issues firsthand. And that's why I'm so passionate about concept of immigration and concept of, 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 of people trying to live. And you're literally putting up a wall saying you can't live. And how there's a, there's a line dividing two nations and, and both sides are, are, are humans Right. And, and we're trying desperately to keep each other out. And it's something that I've always, it's, this is my life, right? It's always something that I'm going to be a part of. But it's also the concept of like, 
Benicio del Toro's character and the concept of like the CIA, right? Because in Narcos, I don't know if you've seen Narcos, but no, this last no. season of Narcos touched on this very much. And we have freaking Tom Cruise's movie in theaters right now, touching on it right now too, yeah. which is, I don't know if you know American Made. Yeah, well, in that show, um, Snowfall on FX, like I worked, I did some work on that show and it's, it's, it's a great, John Singleton is the executive producer and it's all about how the CIA was just bringing in drugs. That's to, what I'm saying. So it, it's about the so. CIA and Narcos touches on it too. It's a the CIA kind of working with the Colombian cartel in a way to make like a deal being like, hey, if you promise to be chill, we'll let you kind of import drugs and shit and we'll be cool with it. And then Narcos touches on that. And this one touches on it too because Josh Brolin at the end of the movie says, um, you know, people are always going to be addicted to this shit. Why do we try and stop it? Instead of trying to stop it, we're going to work with people who are, who, who can keep who can keep a cool head, which is the Colombians, which is what Benicio del Toro represents because he's Medellin. Medellin mm-hmm. is a city in Colombia, and that's like the Escobar cartel where it was from. Okay, I didn't know that. And then they keep calling him Medellin in the movie. All the Mexicans call him Medellin, even in the, the cartel, the Mexican cartel right. boss, boss calls him Medellin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he represents the Colombian cartel and the Colombian... The, the Colombian cartel is what the U.S. government wants to work with, and the Mexican cartel is too much of a loose cannon. It's too much craziness and too much violence and too much you, – you, you don't know if you can work with them, whereas like the Colombians, you know you can. So mm-hmm. what you do is you set loose the Colombian um, dog, yeah. I guess. He's actually a dog in a way, Benicio del Toro's character. You let him loose, let him take out the, the competition, which is the Mexican cartel, and then you can work with the Colombians who are much more sensible and who are willing to work with the U.S. government, whereas the Mexicans are not. And it's also kind of – kind of a suicide squad kind of scenario right yeah because if they if, if people kind of have an open mind about it and find out about it it's like you can you can play dumb you could be like well the colombians and the mexicans were at war and that's why the colombian guy killed the mexican guy we had nothing to do with it the u.s government had nothing to do with it it's the colombians and the mexicans fighting and it's almost kind of that scapegoat you can have yeah. um and that's, that just goes through like all of american history whether it exactly be, um pinning you know whether it be pinning uh you know, um, Asian Americans against other Asian Americans, whether it be pinning African Americans against, um, like the 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 home, the, like the the motherland. We'll talk about this in another episode. If, yeah. Um, if we ever get to like a Spike Lee episode, I'll be, <laughs> we will. Yeah, I'll trust be, me, I'll we be will. passionate. But um, but for, but for me, final yeah. thought, real quick, because I know I kind of ranted a little bit, but no, that's fine. Yeah. Final thing I want to say is is the concept of the U.S. government allowing this craziness to happen. And that's kind of the reality of the situation where the good guy isn't really the good guy. And the top dog in this whole situation is telling you that going by the book doesn't exist anymore the higher you go up. The lower down you are on the totem pole, the more they teach you, go by the book, follow the rules. And the higher you go up, the more they're like, dude, toss that book out. That doesn't exist. This is the real world now. If you're going to be doing some top dog decisions and if you're going to be taking out some top dog people – then you're going to get your hands dirty. Right. And um, for me, my, my last word on Sicario, it's obviously a movie that focuses a lot on what the nature of violence means, what the nature of morality means. Um, how does that uh, prevalent into like little characters, into individual stories? Um, how 
does this war on drugs really impact the land of Mexico? And it's brilliant. You know, again, we're talking about Roger Deakins' great cinematography, the use of beige. Like, there's no black or white here. Um, you know, even e- the first time we see Emily Blunt actually is through, like, one of the first times we see her is through security footage that is black or white. You know, one of the last times we see her is through the night vision goggles as green or, you know, the, the overall color palette is like beige. You know what I mean? There's, there's no, like, central idea of what we are supposed to feel, uh, you know, there's no right or wrong answer that the, the answer the with the circumstances that we've been given, the only choice you can make is either stick to your grounds of morality or just play on whatever side you want to play on. And I think it's brilliant. Even, even with the cinematography, even with the shots of like showing like the helicopter shots over the border where sure. you just see like, it's like this very similar looking kind of land, America on this side, Mexico on this side, but it's just all like this little fence that just causes um, this uproar and violence and all this stuff. So it's it's crazy. Cut, kind of um, going on that point, going back on prisoners and that gray, that gray thing that we see so much in Denny's films is the concept of not black, not white, but gray moral areas mm-hmm. is something that we see in all of Denny's films. Let's jump to Arrival real quick. Um, yeah. Arrival is a masterpiece. Um, it, it really is. It came out last year and it blew people's minds. And there's a reason why. I know you have a connection towards Arrival because you really love this movie. Yeah, that was my favorite movie of 2016. That's right. To, to me, this is uh, the definition of a perfect movie. To me. Yeah. Um, you know, when when I watched this film, I was mind blown. Um, the idea that you could um, manipulate the art of film so well and so seamlessly mm-hmm. um, that you can manipulate the audience into thinking, oh, these are all like flashbacks to an earlier time where we oh, really flash yeah. forwards. And, you know, there there's this popular thing that they teach in film school. Like, no, if you go to film school for one day, you're, you're going to get this hammered into you. <laughs> um, it's like the Kuleshoff effect, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that whole idea of like, you could take this one shot of like a, a weirdo looking at a baby and it'll just like look like it's innocent. But you could take the same shot, the exact same actor, exact same expression looking at like a hot woman and it'll be like, oh, that guy's a creep. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, in this movie, they use that to like the maximum effect where it's like, oh, time. We're, yeah, time. Yeah, they open with like this thing where we perceive to be a flashback of, you know, a- Amy Adams. And we only perceive that because like the language of film dictates that, yep. you know, we have to do that. But meanwhile, later on in the movie, we learn that, oh, these are really flash forwards and these are all part of the nonlinear um, thinking that that inhabits Amy Adams. So again, it's brilliant. They use they they dive deep into a lot of like philosophy and like linguistics that I've been like interested in studying for a long time. Um, they obviously have that whole thing of the surfer ward um, thesis, which is like the structure of language uh, determines the way like your your brain works and behavioral characteristics. And we see that being implemented, but that's the first time we've ever seen that idea used in science fiction where it's like oh if aliens come in and you have to learn alien language you're going to start thinking like an alien you're going to start thinking non-linearly and i think that's one of the most brilliant examples of just hey this is we've had film for over a hundred years um but here's something original for you yeah. you know and here's something that's digestible in a way that works um that feels natural and yeah, to me it's a, to me it's a perfect movie. All the acting around the board is brilliant. It's um, it's it's absolutely brilliant. The cinematography yeah. by Bradford Young. Bradford Young, yeah. He um, Deacons wasn't available to shoot this. He was working on Hell Caesar with the Coen Brothers, um, but um, and and having Bradford Young and, and again we talk about a lot of 
villain ooze films being this element of realism and neorealism, um, how they're able to incorporate that into science fiction is very interesting. I mean, you see like these kind of, uh, we talk about like the bleakness and all that stuff, but, you know, uh, having so much of the film be dependent on light um, to the point where our literal introduction and presentation of the aliens is through a giant white light, <laughs> yep. right? So it's like... Uh, and then black and white. And yes, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, them being like blacks, like silhouettes kind of deal. So it's, it's interesting that they're able to incorporate... Um, like the look of dirty, they, they call it dirty science fiction. Of dirty like, sci-fi. Yeah, so it's like you, you, you take a look into like the grittier, realistic, if this was a science fiction movie, this is probably, if this was going to happen, this is probably how it will look. You know what I mean? This is probably how it will feel. Um, this it's is, less futuristic. Yeah, it's less futuristic, but it's very uh, utopian. You know mm. what I mean? It's very much like we have to rely on each other. We have to rely on communication. Um, we have to, uh, we have to start talking to each other and start using our brains, putting our brains together in order for problem solving to start. And, you know, it, it came out in 2016, which is a big year of like division and, and whatnot. And it didn't even start the, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're filming this back, yeah. you know, back in like 2014, yeah, 2015. They didn't know so. how bad it was going to get. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, now it's way worse, but I think, I think in the end it, it all, t- and I think that's what's so brilliant about it. Like it, even though it's this real dark, real gritty science fiction um, thing is it ultimately offers like a bright solution. Sure. You know what I mean? I think there's probably one of the only like Denny Villeneuve films with like a, a yeah, happy ending. Yeah, like a happy ending. That's yeah. so true. That's very true. Um, I'm going to say a quick words on it just because we're kind of running out of time. Um, to me, the reason why I love this movie so much is that it's all about communication and mm. it's the most realistic possibility of what happens if aliens came to Earth. I love it because it's all about language. It's all about what is language? What is communication? It's not just words, but it's it's the way we think. And we think in a very linear way because that's kind of how our language is. And what happens if we stop thinking linear? And right. we stop we start thinking forwards and backwards. So right. any, any last words on it? Just because I want to... Well, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of want to pose this question. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who... Um, say that Arrival is like a movie that promotes like a pro-life agenda, um, you know, is because of the fact that Amy Adams knows that her, oh, her daughter is going to... Yeah, I don't see that. I don't... Yeah, uh, I, maybe, but I, I see it more as just like, just just the, the keeping possibilities open, even though you know that the possibilities aren't going to end up the way you want it to, I guess. Right, and, and, and that's a question that's even posed by the Jeremy Renner character. Like, if you know our, our daughter is going to die, why would you still... Have um, her. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of want to combat that too. Um, there's a quote from Denny Villeneuve where he says, like, um, that definitely wasn't the intention. Um, and in fact, they were going out of their way to make sure in adapting the story. This is, the movie's based on a short story from Ted Chang called The Story of My Life or Story mm-hmm. of Your Life. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that was the original title for the movie. And, but the, the whole idea is that, um, you know, the the original source material was like, oh, the daughter dies at a much older age and she dies from a rock climbing accident. Um, but in the film, uh, Villeneuve and the screenwriter actually readjusted uh, that um, that theme by making it, she dies from unavoidable natural causes and she dies at a much younger age. So there's nothing really she could do. And and doing that, it, it's, not a, it's not an idea of, Oh, we're it's, it's, we're gonna give birth to her, and knowing she's gonna die is that Luis chooses to make that choice, you know. Yeah, and the um, fact that she chooses to tell Runner, 
yeah. knowing that he's probably going to divorce her for that reason. Right. That right. That's another thing, too. If you know the future, if you know someone's future, do you tell them? Do you say, hey, this is what's going to happen, knowing that they might, they might not take that in a positive way? Right, right, right. And it's especially, like, heartbreaking knowing. I mean, there's... It was not officially confirmed in the movie, but there's that whole idea that her daughter actually ends up dying um, as because of her interaction and communication with the aliens, um, which is I think is like really unfortunate. Well, this it's kind of like one of the more bleaker interpretations of the yeah. movie. But um, again, I think this is one of the um, landmark movies of of all time. I think this is um, one of the best uh, looks at science fiction. Uh, you know, is obviously nominated for I believe eight Academy Awards, um, including a Best Director nomination for Villeneuve, Best Picture. Um, no Amy Adams nomination, unfortunately, yeah, which you is were really, heartbreaking. Yeah, you were, you were fighting for I that. Thought, I thought that was the performance of the year. Yeah. I thought that should have won. Yeah. Like, you were fighting for that. I, I remember so, that. Yeah, you yeah. were like, dude, nominator. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, the score by Johan Johansson. Ooh, um, that score is so good. Yeah. And, and it's used so well. Yeah, and they, they take a lot of pieces from that, from like uh, Max Richard... Uh, um, theme that came out in like 2002 or something like that. I can't I can't remember exactly which movie it's from, but they, they adapt a lot of... See, that's the reason I didn't get nominated for an original score. They actually ad- adopt a lot of different scores mm-hmm. in it. Um, but like the the eeriness, the 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 kind of like overlapping, they, they use like an overlapping Asianago to keep the intensity rising um, through the music. So it's like every time like you see the aliens come up, it's like a, like a drone, like a... You know what I mean? And it just keeps it like building and intensifying. So I really enjoy it for that, for that aspect of it. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's, again, it's a masterpiece in filmmaking. It's a masterpiece in thinking. And, mm-hmm. and it's a huge commentary on our society, especially today, as far as communication and as far as working together. And, and, and what's it going to take for humanity to successfully work as one and and is it gonna take something horrific or can it take something good? Can it take something positive? Right. And 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 also how language can change our mind and and how what we feed inside our brain and what we feed inside these ears can literally dictate our actions, our thoughts, and our perspective in the world mm-hmm. and our perspective on life because it's the concept of what who are you listening to and what are they telling you and how does that translate to the way you choose to live your life and the way not just you lived your life but you view the world i feel like that's key mm-hmm. because it's it's like how you view the world is eventually how humanity will work together or destroy each other right right all right guys that's our episode for today again yeah. we got into some crazy crazy things with denny villeneuve we're very much excited for blade runner 2049 um just keep up with us on twitter to hear our thoughts on that i'm at squad leader race rb3 is at rb3 schmoes yep. and we're going to be here talking about more directors that you want to hear about let us know what you thought about denny villeneuve's films and let us know what other directors you would like us to talk about in the comments down below make sure you keep it positive and keep it happy guys i'm ace this is rb3 yes, and we are peacing out Oh,